So, everybody, this is Spotlight on Success. Today we're talking to Eric Laurie. He's the executive director of Freedom Guide Dogs, and he's also the founder with his wife. They're co-founders of the company. Um, I found them recently, and I thought the, the story and the product was interesting, so I wanted to get them on the show. And like many other founder entrepreneur types, it's extremely hard to get a hold of. Um, you know water, high water, this is going to happen today. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, uh, Eric, so I see here you're uh, originally you're from uh, Jersey City, New Jersey. Yes. And um, how long ago did you uh, move up here? Like, That's kind of a culture shock a little bit isn't, in itself, isn't it? Oh, it's wonderful, though. I, 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 that's a long journey. I was in Jersey City until I was 21, and then I okay. got the opportunity to have an apprenticeship being a guide dog instructor for the blind. I moved to Long Island, which was a big change, but a, yeah. a positive change other than the, how crowded it is in the New York City area. Right. Um, it, it was just a better lifestyle, though, from Jersey City. And I served about three years there, then I moved on to another guide dog program in the Midwest because you know, I liked the more rural setting than the hustle and bustle, and I spent a few years there. And eventually I ended up back in New York in uh, uh, Westchester County working for a guide dog program. Where I met my wife Sharon and my, you know, my co-founder. We spent, and the two of us joined another organization. Sounds like we worked a lot of places, and there's not that many of them. Um, we um, went there. It's the, the concept of training blind people where they live instead of going to a guide dog school, you know, a dormitory, and that was the big difference. There was only this one program to offer in the United States, and it was with German Shepherds only the breed of dog and when we after five years working there we decided that you know offering labradors to blind people which is the more common dog these days and much easier to handle by our what we believe so we bit the bullet and started another nonprofit charity um, to, to help more blind people that could be you know served by uh, using labradors in home training because half the problem is they want home training because they can't go away either due to disabilities or family commitments and the like so a lot of times the german shepherds aren't your best candidate for that scenario you can have actually let's step back a little bit unlike a lot of entrepreneurs that i i interview you're actually not from a, a long history of entrepreneurs but you did you did say that as your um you you had i think a brother who's also in business yes i did and ironically probably since since I wrote that, he passed away, unfortunately. He, he's developed a product that's still being tested, and he thought he was going to be a wealthy man off of that, which is unfortunate. But the product's still in testing, and I just guess his wife will inherit the success if the product passes. He invented a hospital bed for long-term patients. Yeah, it's uh, called the smart bed. Whenever it goes to market, and it, it, the bed itself senses when a person's built developing uh, bed sores or you know, we call ulcers, and the bed will move them without somebody intervening. The bed will know itself. The bed will know, and it will roll the person over. Yeah, it's, it sounds pretty, you know, I, it's, I, I was impressed. My brother's been in the medical field marketing another unique product for 30 years, so I'm not surprised. And it just really sorry out. about the news there. I'm sorry about that. Um, yeah, it was a big shock. He was only 51. And he had uh, Parkinson's really bad, and I think there was complications to that. And uh, ironically, we didn't even know our father. I, he passed away when I was five. My brother was three, but he was a independent tractor-trailer owner. Oh, really? So a bit of an entrepreneur then. Yeah, there is. It's very slight, but yes, we've all been, uh, you know, I, I guess independent thinkers and, and, and driving. Uh, you know, my brother's products 
were unique and 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 then just like what we're doing is is, is we're doing guide dogs serving the blind, but in a unique delivery of service. So yes, the only problem with our our program is because you know we you could call us an entrepreneur, but we have we don't gain from it. You know, we hope to make a living, but you know it's not where we can accumulate wealth from it because it's a nonprofit, so it's just uh, just an, I, enough it, money it, to get by. Sure, and, and and you know what that lends to the concept that the thing the thing in life really is. One, it's obviously it's about making a living. Some people strive, or you know, some people want to make their first million, first time, whatever. And that, you know, that obviously is success. But there's a lot of different ways to define success. And I think that in this sense, we're looking at a company that you've obviously grown the company. Like you said, it's a nonprofit, so you're not making a profit. But at the same time, from looking at your past with the, the local humane societies and being an animal caretaker and you clearly uh, are, in your sense of the way, experiencing a great degree of success because you can do what you love to do. You're helping people, which, believe it or not, even people who I talked to, I talked to Andy from JustAnswer.com last uh, couple uh, weeks ago, and, and he's making a profit, making a big profit, but ultimately his whole mission in life was really just to find a way to help people, and his company is one of the like an answer type of a thing where they answer questions from people but ultimately his really his goal was just to help people and then he ended up he chose something that he loved doing and he turned it into a thriving business and, and that's a lot of people even people who make a profit so so really to me success isn't defined by exact dollar figures dollar. Or, profits or non-profits or what have you Please right about that. yeah and what, what it is is uh we we've sacrificed more income just so we could train more trainers and more dogs so, because we aren't able to raise and not just because of the way the economy's been for the last year it has been tough but we saw that storm coming and didn't go out and build another building and garages that we had income for it was you know just general income and we've sat on it and used it for operating so we could continue to serve as many blind people as we have been my wife and i are the lowest paid employees just so we can have other trainers on staff and place more guide dogs than when it was just my wife and I. We, we used to only place 12 gear. We're probably going to place 32 guide dogs this year with blind people. Wow. And so sacrificing income has been beneficial for, for, for our main goal. And, and then like, it's just that, we, you know, in the long run, we hope to find uh, other people that are like-minded that can contribute, you know, to help, help grow the program. And, and, and keep it can you know have a, a consistent funding base. That's the name you know because that's the one one big difference is you know you have to we work hard and do the best we can to produce the best most safest reliable guide dog for a blind person. But that doesn't equate to dollars and cents. It equates to gratification, and 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 the, on our end and and more importantly the blind person's uh, you know peace of mind and companionship as well as safety. And they usually become more successful themselves if they have a guide dog with them. Not that they can't without it, but, you know, it definitely bolsters their self-confidence when they're traveling and and the like. And just the joy of the companionship seems, it's just like they say, you know, married people, you know, sometimes seem more content. I I guess I can agree with that because I am happily married, but, you know, I know single people that are happy too. But with the guide dog, it tends to equate, you know, that they want to do things, they want to be out there. It's a positive symbol no matter what. You know, when people see it in public, so it's a win-win situation. You know what we're doing, and that's that's. So we are succeeding, like you said, and and, and we are rewarded for it in different ways. 
and and it's all about too because I, I know having personally come from a family where um my uncle was a quadriplegic, and I don't know you know like you mentioned blind people is it mostly blind or does it do they help you know paraplegics and quadriplegics as well? Uh, we we work specifically with just with just the blind, um, and and there are other organizations that do other disabilities. With with blind. our organization because we we develop the home training, we we tend to work with people that are blind and have other disabilities also. Uh, blindness is their first disability, and then they might be cerebral palsy, MS, uh, amputees. You know, I. I Last year, I trained the most challenging um, person my wife and I have ever dealt with. Was um, we worked on it together with a, a fellow that was uh, unfortunately blown up in the Iraqi War as really? one of our soldiers, and he lost both his hands also wow. as well as being blind. So we had to, you know, we had to adapt with the prosthetics and devices and everything, and then just have a super exceptional dog for right. him. In fact, there's a video of that up on our website. A new cool. little short news video on our homepage on our website of that fellow receiving his guide dog and utilizing it. Freedomguidedogs.org. Yeah. Freedomguidedogs.org. Cool. Yeah, and there's another video up there for another blind person that nobody else wanted to train was a blind woman, a blind woman who's Down syndrome, and that's a bit of a stretch. You know, I, I'll I'll give you the insight on that. Is two reasons. One, she's a very capable Down syndrome person that's blind. Secondly, I have two Down syndrome children. One is my own, and that is now 18, and, and then we have uh, one we adopted that's only 10 years old. So we knew from our personal experience with Down syndrome, and, and one, how to, how to deal with them, you know, specifically in, in, in educational, in the educational realm. So I knew when I interviewed her, I could pay, make a pretty informed judgment on her capabilities and cognitivity to be a responsible. You know, traveling with the dog. She does live with her with her mother, who's in her seventies. But you know, again, it, it, you know, I just had that blessing of having my own Down syndrome, so I could say, yeah, I'll give it a try. I'll give it a try, and it's worked out rather well. Again, it was another exceptional dog. You know, not you know, all dogs are good, but you know, some are just a little more sensitive to the blind person and not less challenging, shall we say? You know. Personality of the dog to match the situation. That Correct. You know, you know, lifestyle. You know, it's like making a marriage. There. You know, you when you evaluate a blind person and you're training dogs, you're looking for one that'll get along. You know, personally, uh, physically. You know, lifestyle, uh, environment, and everything else. You know, some people like myself. I love living in the country, although I was a city kid. You know, some you know some people wouldn't want to live in the country. My wife is a country girl, so we get along quite well because we both enjoy living out here in a rural area. You know, we're it's funny we're only twenty twenty some odd minutes away from Utica, but there's coyotes out here, <laughs> like and there's there's not many houses and it's wonderful. You know, but yet twenty but, minutes. But it, I and, thought that Castle just got its own airport, didn't it? You're in Castle, New York, right? For everybody who didn't hear that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you just I did. Around. I did. You know, funny enough, many years ago, there's a farmer down the road, and in the old, old maps, you'll see that it says there's an airstrip on his farm. They used to have a windsock on top of the barn, and people would land a private plane there. Well, there you go. <laughs> so you were only you were half correct. That's why I'm thinking hard about this instead of I, I know, like see we did. <laughs> it's probably dirt, though. <laughs> oh, it is. It's, you, they mow the grass over it, so you know. Now, what what was it like? How did you end up in Castell? Well, my wife is from the area, um, and her parents are both 
successful people. I mean, it's oh. a tiny little town. It, it's a wonderful place. In fact, we go. There's there's not much there, but there's a church there, and we attend that. And there's the post office and the fire hall diner attached to the firehouse, and that, that's about all of Castle. My my wife's parents, grandparents are, are dairy farmers uh, from okay. Castle. And so my wife's parents met and married, and and, and they stayed in Cassville. I mean, they had uh, moved over for a while, but they moved back to the farm when the, her grandparents passed away. So they've been in the Cassville, you know, in the Sequoia Valley area for, for forever, and uh, more recently for the last 20 years back in Cassville again. So and uh, they managed to find us a piece of property that that we we could find, put, build a build a facility on eventually. I mean, for that's only six years old. We've been here 18 years. So for 12 years we were using a wood shed and kerosene heater with no plumbing and you know a few bare bulbs to light the place and put up some used chain link fence to run a kennel out of. And you know by the grace of God over the years we've been able to raise money <clears throat> and build a, a a decent kennel for the dog. Dogs, uh, in a training center to train the dogs when we're not out and out in the general public and that's been wonderful because we can operate much more efficiently and the dogs you know don't have you know the, the heating they have they, they have it made it's a radiant heated floor which is expensive to put in but cheap to run so in the long run it's a good investment like now it doesn't cost us that much to because it heats the floor and dogs sleep on the floor in the kennel so it's uh, you know much more efficient financially and that's so we remember that I wondered about that because I got some for those of you that haven't seen yet if you go if you Google um, guide dogs in Cyber Village you'll find the, the uh, videos that we took. And, um, yeah, it's a really nice facility. As a matter of fact, the reason that it stood out to me, I was driving through the, the back roads of New York, and sometimes I'll just go for a drive, or if I'm in between sales gigs, I'll go for a drive and just kind of look around. And I saw your sign on the main road there. I don't even remember the name of the road, to be honest with you. I'm not really familiar with the area, but I saw your sign, and I pulled over, and I said, nah, there's no way. So I pulled in again. I kind of expected to see, you know, in the area, let's face it, there's a lot of old farms and stuff like that. Mm. Beautiful area, don't get me wrong. I love the countryside and all that. But your place really kind of stuck out <laughs> driving by. And I had to go back and circle around and go back. Of course, the road ended up somewhere up on the other side. That's right. It's a seasonal. Oh, it's a really nice, nice facility that you have there. And, and again, I don't want to overplay it because you're a nonprofit, and and it's not like a you know you guys aren't living high on the hog, but it really was a nice little setting, a nice little area of a kind of a farm town, and it kind of caught my eye, and I said, well, geez, that looks like, you know, and not for nothing, but even just looking at it, you can kind of tell. I saw the the sign, and I said, well, geez, somebody's got a nice, a pretty nice little business going on over here in the middle of nowhere, if you'll excuse the expression, it's a noble kind of a trade, I guess you would call it, and um, I guess. Somebody who really spent most of your life, like like it says on your thing, Humane Society, Dog Catcher, Cities, Animal Warden. What city were you the Animal Warden for? Jersey was City. That about? It was, was Jersey City. Yeah. yeah. Must keep that busy there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it, they got them on TV now called Animal Cops. They didn't issue guns and stuff to us, but it, you know, it's it's a you know it's the the, the sadder side of of a pet life, you know, or just you know, in a big city, you got a lot of stray wild dogs and. But you know it's funny, like you say, it sticks out here is because I chose a red metal roof for the kennel, and since even the outdoor kennel is covered, it looks bigger because it's the building sixty feet wide. 
Yeah, I know. Or, when you go in, it seems like it's tiny. Well, from the outside, it's just it's just the appearance. It's just yeah, like well, because yeah, because the outdoor runs, you have to go in, through another door, and there's the outdoor runs, and they're covered also. But or else you'd be shoveling snow like we used to do. You oh, know, yeah. they, they fill up with snow all the time, and you know you've got ten runs, and you've got twenty dogs living here, and they, you know, they, they you, all that square footage would fill up with snow. You'd spend half your like, winter just shoveling snow instead of working with the dogs. So having a nice yeah. big roof over. So yeah, and I chose red because I'm not I'm not plugging them, but we do use the Red Roof Hotel chain. And they give us okay. a corporate discount when we travel okay. around training blind people outside the Utica, Syracuse area. Okay. Since we serve the northeastern United States, the majority of people we train are in New York State, but we do serve some in the surrounding states. And so whenever we're far over two hours or, or two, you know, when we're three hours away from home, like Rochester and the like, we 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 will stay at a motel okay. while we're training the blind person, and that's the whole. It's a reverse of the profession. Traditionally, blind people go and live at a guide dog school in a dormitory somewhere and learn how to use a dog and then go home and have to sort it out by themselves wow. with their new dog at home. Well, Whereas we show up, you know, nice. we, yeah, we show up in a blind person's community and train them where they live and work and address all their personal mobility needs. And, and that's because those are the people that can't go away for one reason or another. They're work dependent. Or mothers with young, blind mothers with young children, you know, they don't want to go away. They don't trust their husbands. My wife, I don't think she trusts me for three weeks <laughs> watching the kids. Right. You know, women are Thank pretty God, right? No. Yeah, that too, yes. <laughs> women are pretty protective too. So so they, they a lot of times they'll forego getting, a blind woman will forego getting a guide dog until the kids are in high school or out of school. Why? So they've gone without getting guide dogs. and. And the world's changed a lot. There, you know, a lot more people are working. Blind people have more opportunities to find a job. They're much more the uh, just providing and right. for the family, or just providing running the household and the like. Much more so, having families. You know, many years ago, blind people probably didn't do as much as far as having families and the like, and having jobs. Um, you know, and then a lot of blind people that that have multiple disabilities. We we trained somebody that I don't have. Unfortunately, I don't have any video of it. He passed away, but he both his legs were amputated below the knee, and he wore prosthetic legs. Mm-hmm. So just a support cane in one hand and a guide dog in the other, and he used to get around. You know, it was a wonderful thing. But you know, before that, nobody would think to do that. Oh yeah, I mean, this is a fairly new concept too, right? I mean, like I say, I, I remember, I don't know how many years ago it was. Gosh, probably twenty some odd years ago. Um, you know, like I said, we had a family member, and I just can't imagine the amount of freedom and the quality of life that these dogs add to these people's lives. Um, that alone has got to be really something impressive to see. Now, how long would you say be out of town training one of these in the, in the person? We spend at least two weeks with a blind person. A lot of times we can try to match up two blind people in a region and try to work work with two people at a, you know during a day, you know because. You know they, you know they need breaks, so we'll work with people twice a day for several hours. But you know, if you're away from home, you might as well work instead of sitting around. So we'll we'll, we'll work long days and hopefully accomplish two blind people getting guide dogs by the end of that period. And huh. that's, uh, so that's a you know we try to be as productive as possible. If not, we bring dogs with us and train them on the off hours. Always producing one more guide dog, the next guide dog, so to speak. I mean, but there's a lot of training. I mean, I would say a big chunk of the training takes place right there on site. So the dog's kind of ready to go. You just kind of have to match him up with the person. And Correct, yes. 
Or, yes, it is. It's getting uh, the two of them used to each other, training the blind person. Even if they've had a guide dog before, it's training them on how that dog works and the you know personality and character traits of that specific dog. Right. So it takes time for the two of them to bond, and so you just it's just practice that we just just start with the easy routes and get to the more challenging in public transportation. You know, depending on if it's a city, you know that's much more challenging. Right. But even the smaller communities, sometimes the challenge of no sidewalks. Is it can be um, right? There's something under their feet to kind of guide the dog along. Now, Eric, I just want to interrupt you for one second. We have 20 seconds to the live show, then it goes into recorded mode. So everybody who's listening now, we're going to keep going here. We'll come back later when it's recorded and listen. And don't forget out awesome success story up in upstate New York called LifeInHomes.com. They're our sponsor. Awesome story. We did a story on them. Come back and listen to that later. And everybody who's live, we'll see you again later. Um, okay, there we go. Sorry about that, Eric. That's so now, right. so now we're we're still recording, but not streaming. That kind of gets people to come back if they want to listen to the rest later. This is cool because I, I get I remember seeing it. Like you mentioned that one show that it was the, the animal cops. Me and my family watch the animal planet all the time. And um, when you see when you see these guide dogs, it, it, it's amazing. Some of the things like we take for granted so many things when we have the use of our limbs and our eyes and, and everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, something as simple as is opening a door, or like you said, crossing a street in a in a major metropolitan area mm-hmm. is a big challenge for people, obviously. And I mean, the the amount. Of, what, what are the kind of the? Is there anything really cool that the dogs get? Like, I mean, can they open doors? I mean, what can they actually do? They can bring them things like little satchels and stuff like that. But can they do anything that people well, like? You know, it, you know, a lot of a lot of those things you mentioned is what the like the, the service dogs do for the people that have uh, physical disabilities. Know, aside from blindness, you know, they can't carry things or pick up things or open doors. With 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 all those people, they can see, so they can, you know, reach one way or another to right. the door. And that, the 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 door, guide dog's job is to find the door, <laughs> indicate the doorknob, bring them up to the steps and stop at the steps or the curb so the blind person doesn't fall off of it, crossing the street in a straight line. You I mean when even with blind people, and I know because I've been trained to use a cane under blindfold, and I have a left tendency. I would be all the way out in the intersection. I can't cross the street, and I've trained under that, and I still have a left tendency, and I know wow. it. So the the dog keeping a straight line. I think one of the thing you know, just when people see a guide dog, they think, well, he's just taking a walk. Yeah, well, you know, he's what he's doing is keeping a straight line, making sure that person doesn't bump their right shoulder, which the dogs are always on the left. And that's because it's a right-handed world. We uh, we train all dogs on one side because we don't know who's getting them. So if a person's left-handed, they're unfortunately out of luck because you know, we train all the dogs on the left side. But what, your dog is working to keep the person safe, you know, not so they don't bang their head on anything, their shoulder on anything, they don't bump into people. And the and the dog, the poor dog, he's got um, he's um, how should we put it? You know, his whole world is nothing but dodging knees and feet and car tires and bumpers. <laughs> you know, right. you remember, he's only two, about two feet off the ground is where his head is at. Um, and so his life is not as exciting as as ours is. And 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 that is another good point is that one of the one of the the more challenging thing for a dog is uh, moving obstacles, which would be people, and the, you know, on the sidewalk or in the store or in the mall. You know, there's an obstacle that they blind person could bump into and it keeps moving so the dog has to guess which way it's going to go 
just like traffic in the street, we teach the dog to be very careful. You know, we don't teach them to be afraid of cars because they can make irrational decisions, but we teach them to be aware of traffic, all traffic, and what traffic can do. So they See, that's don't amazing because they're loud, the cars, and I'm surprised. So you might have a dog that might have to, if something goes wrong, you've got to weave in and out of cars to get the person through the traffic. So that's yeah, it's in gridlock and that. The one, one of the toughest things for blind people, and they'll tell you, is right turn on red, you know, because people abuse that right turn on red, you know, and they think that just means they can go without even stopping. So they'll zip around a corner, and the person thinks, oh, yeah, the traffic is, pa- the parallel traffic's moving with me, it's safe to go. And they go ahead, and then somebody says, well, I can make a right turn on red because, uh, you know, and they'll go right around the corner right in front of them, you know. They, they don't look, you know, they're not looking. They think they're entitled, and that's just the general public. It's, you know, I, I'm, I'm, you know, this is, it's a frustrating thing. That and wheelchair ramps, people don't think of that either. Um, yes, the convenience for people that have uh, walking disabilities and people in wheelchairs, but blind people don't know where the curb is anymore because the ramp blends right into the street and they can't find it. So that's why you need the dog's eye to point it out. These dogs are constantly analyzing things and thinking about things. Yes, and then the dogs are, oh, you know, old, old, what do you call it, psychological, psychologists say dogs can't think for themselves, but that's been proven over and over again. It's wrong. The dog is thinking for itself. We train, we teach the dog concepts and, 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 and routines, but, you know, the dog eventually, you know, starts thinking for itself and making decisions on what's safe and what's not safe. You know, I mean, some of it's quite obvious, and I've seen dogs do amazing things, problem solving, and it, it's it's impressive. And some dogs are just more adept at it than others, just like people. So you watch the dogs in the cities, in the major cities, like anywhere from Buffalo, Rochester, New York, eh, even Albany sometimes, when it's busy and people are commuting to work with their guide dog, or in an airport or something. You know, the scenarios could come up, come upon the dog that they weren't exactly trained for, and they just use, for lack of a better term, common sense. And they seem, I watched them stop, look around, and then make a decision. I'm like, I'm still impressed. And they think to myself, well, I didn't teach the dog to do that, but boy, that dog, <laughs> I'll take credit for it. <laughs> He's making you look good. <laughs> yes, he sure is. Well, it's just like having employees, I guess, or something. You know, your organization's only as good as the people around you. There, that's true. Very true. Now, speaking of um, the dog and the ones who make you look good, are there any that just can't? Are there any dogs who flunk out? Yes, there is. <laughs> we weed them out, and not because they're going to make us look bad, but because they're just not, you know dangerous. <laughs> correct. That was what I was going to say. The big, the, I, I'm training some apprentices, you know, and that the, this profession is still handed down as an apprenticeship in this country, and it's really neat. We ex- we expect them to have a college education or something, but it's a appre- three-year apprenticeship, and that's the big question. I said, what is the most important thing? I tell them, and they go, is it safe? Because if it's safe, then the blind person dog will be okay. I mean, it's never going to, sometimes might not be perfect, but they'll be safe. But some dogs are just not safe. They're either too energetic, they don't concentrate, or I've never seen any that aren't bright enough, although we purposely breed our dogs. So, you know, right. some Labradors are brighter than others, but, you know, it, again, it, it's maybe not a question of intelligence sometimes, but some dogs, 
do better in the city and some dogs do better in the country. And if you reverse those dogs, they wouldn't be doing well. You know, again, that goes back to matching. You know, some dogs, the city's too busy for them. And other dogs, the the country is too boring for them. You know, traveling down a, a non-sidewalk road, you know, walking down the road to the next crossroad. You know, if somebody lives in a small town, there's no sidewalks in that. So some dogs would be bored with that and get into trouble and chasing things and squirrels and leaves and everything. And other dogs... If they were in the city, it would be way too much information, sensory overload. So they would not do well there and probably break down and just quit working. So, But there are some that just don't make it. Usually usually it's um, occasionally a physical problem. We find a physical, you know, our dogs are healthy, but, you know, occasionally you'll find a dog that has a bad elbow or something or, or an allergy, and you just don't want to put out a dog that has allergies or something if you already know it beforehand. Um, and and, and occasionally dogs, we don't see many, but occasionally a dog's too nervous to work, too much. They, oh, really? they realize the pressure, the pressure's too much for them. And, and we can see that they're exhibiting behavioral, you know, behavioral attitudes and that, and we just say... Anxiety attacks? <laughs> yes, almost like that. You know, some of them will, they just act erratically or, or they right. just, they act out. It's like a kid in school acting out and stuff. It's like, no... <laughs> yeah, you- that kid in school, I think that actually you said something about being too too hyper and not being able to focus. I do believe it. It said that on my report card one year back in the yeah. <laughs> I forget when I went to school actually. <laughs> yeah. uh, how yeah. many you how many how many like out of the twenty six you placed like what's the uh, fallout rate? Well, fallout rate we we have about one out of ten don't make it. So oh, we so probably so went through we went great. through about twenty nine dogs maybe. Okay. Some years oh. better than others, but the average tends to be you know, one out of t- one out of ten or more doesn't make it. We've been some years we don't have we have them all make it, and one you know I think a couple of years ago we had a whole litter that that we breed the dogs, and then they're puppy raised, and then we take them back and train them when they're a year half old. People, right. you know, volunteer and raise them as bring them up from puppies, and we have a list of criteria. The whole idea is really socialization and exposure, and they're making them a good citizen in the house. And it's not the fault of the people, but you know, you, when you're trying to create this dog, this exceptional dog, sometimes it just doesn't work. Once in a while, like I said, a couple of years ago, we had a litter that I think almost all of them failed except one. Really? So like six didn't make it, and one did. <laughs> it's just beyond me. But I mean, we did, and each one had a uh, several of them all had d- different reasons why they didn't make it, and none of them were health, but. Some was a you know too aggressive, wanting to play with other dogs, and two were nervous, and this. And that. So it was it was a combination of things. Because a mess on that litter. <laughs> yeah, we just said well, and they make a nice pets right now. People, you know, the dogs just because they don't make oh, a good they're dog, good pets, they're just not going to be guide dogs. Yeah, they get a career change, you know. <laughs> in, fa- in fact, on a, on a, on an odd note, is we have um, a friend of ours down the road here is uh, the state state police investigator for uh, child sex crimes. Boy. He approached us for a dog that didn't make it, and they used the dog in, that sits in the office with the little children. The kids play with it, and they tend to open up. You know, it was sure. pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, we gave donated that to them, and they gave us a, a donation back. Now, three other counties want a dog <laughs> in their office. It's unfortunate <laughs> that it's needed, but the, the you oh, know, right. Labrador is such a great dog, and it's, Oh, yeah. Kids can climb all over on that. 
So, and you see dogs in nursing homes and visiting as therapy dogs, and that. And dogs in general are just so wonderful, you know. And you just need to find what makes the dog happy, because that's the big part with the guide dogs. If the dog's not happy doing the work, it's not going to do very well. I mean, you you can force them to do it, but that what good is that? You want a positive dog, a dog that likes to work. Our dogs like jumping into the harness because they want to go out and work again, and that's so that's very important is willingness. So if a dog doesn't really want to work, we can see that too, and it's just like hey, he needs a career change. <laughs> that's good. Well, midlife career change. Actually, how old are they when they typically when they go to work? They're, they're usually just about two years old. You know, they're about eight weeks, ten weeks old when they go to a family or or a senior citizen, whoever, to raise them up till they're a year and a half old, and then we take them back and, and evaluate them and train them through the process. And by the age of two, it's pretty close to two years old when they're given to the blind person, and then they last eight to ten years working. So a, a retiring guide dog can be ten to twelve years old. So they retire too. <laughs> yeah, right. they retire. They get a pension. You know, they go. <laughs> Well, them nice go little back. Good defense. Yeah. Well, uh, golden umbrella. umbrella there. Yeah. We always say that they don't get one, but you know, they, they do because they don't have to work anymore. But they, yeah, that's to them. That's, that's like, the, you know, they get all the food and the housing and the warmth they need, so that's all they care about. That, that's right. And they get the little they end up, we, we really don't encourage the blind people to keep their retired guide dog because the dog w- mentally wants to work until it drops dead, right. and, and it's just not good for the dog. You know, they're either right. physically or they, their willingness is still there. So we get recommend they find another family member or friend to take the dog. If not, we, we offer them back to the person that raised it 10 years before. And we've oh, seen yeah. a number of them go back to the puppy raiser for their retiring years. And, and and then we replace another guide dog with the person. So that's a tough road to travel, too, because, you know. Yeah, we got to give know, them up at some point. Right. Hopefully we get through life with one spouse, you know. But, you know, <laughs> with, a, with a guide dog, with pet dogs, you know, you can Not go through happen. several of them over a lifetime. And, and I've worked with some blind people that have had five and six guide dogs. They're in their 70s, and they've had guide dogs their all adult life, you know. In fact, I yeah, you know, I met I have uh, two clients. In fact, one just passed away, and they were they they I, these two clients. You know, they live in different states, but they were together getting their first guide dog at a guide dog school, meaning they were just at the same guide dog school, and that's when they met each other, and that was like 60 years ago. And it just boggles the mind. You know, excuse me, 50 years ago. You know, that's right, because they were like 16 at the time, so I'd make them in their 70s now, just about. It's just incredible, you know, and they're still going, and and they think fondly of each dog in a different way, you know, that they've traveled eight to ten years with. And do the dogs ever work around other dogs? Like if a person has a pet, they oh yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they have, have to, to learn how to deal with that. Then. That's right, and that's part of the whole interview process. We 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 try to get a very good, well-rounded picture of the blind person's lifestyle and their home and their family life and, and all the things that we can foresee that the dog will encounter. Just like in our kennel here, our, tra- our training center, I should say, in the front of the kennel. And the cats live there. We have two cats. And they're, they're what we call training tools because they wander around and they come and go and they love to watch the dogs being trained in the building because it entertains them because the building can be pretty quiet during the day. So they're always right. around. And so they're a great distraction for the dogs. Yeah. And, and the whole idea is the dog is working, so he has to ignore the cat at the time. <laughs> Right, can't be chasing the cat now, you know. <laughs> and the cats don't. The cats only run just for the fun of it. But they, you know, they, 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 you know, the dog only gets, you know, two 
feet and he's on the end of a leash so he can't be chasing the cat. So they get very comfortable with the cats and the cats are extremely accommodating. So a few pets I have in the house, the dogs we have over here as pets, we, we bring them out sometimes for a distraction and there's a horse across the road, like you said, it's pretty rural here. There's a horse in a pasture across the road yeah. from the parking lot and stuff. So that the dogs are exposed to that too. And it's ironic because there's a number of cities I don't know if they still do, that have mounted police. I know, I can't remember if Syracuse still does. I know Rochester does and New York City does. And that. So a lot oh, yeah, of times a blind person working a guide dog, if they're in the ma- in a major city, may run, may come across a horse, even in the city if it's in, with the mounted police. So the dog has to be comfortable around that. Right. Not yeah, barking yeah. at it. <laughs> right. That's got to be a challenge right there, just to not bark at the horse yeah. for two hours straight. <laughs> You ask, you think about, and even the people listening to the radio show, how many of their pets have seen a horse, unless you live in the right, right. right, the right rural area, you know. So these dogs have to be so common, just like they have to be comfortable with riding trains, riding subways. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, trains, subways, escalators. Uh, you know, if they come across the things you just don't think of that pets wouldn't come across. So, so the dogs have to be fairly worldly. Right. And comfortable in their own fur to, to new things. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Horns deep and everything. All the distractions. I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the average dog. Like we said, we watched that Animal Planet, and you see some some of these dogs. You think, like you say, because of the breed, it's Labrador. You you tend you tend to going to have a ninety percent success rate. But some of these dogs, especially the little ones, they can't focus for more than four seconds on anything, <laughs> let alone a, a, a ignore a horse or a squirrel running across the street or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are ADD, HDD, I guess, you know. Yeah, I, I do believe that that does, that is prevalent in some types of dogs. Well, this has been, uh, this has been very educational. I appreciate you coming on. Well, thank you. It's been fun. Yeah, sure. If you have, um, I know you guys kind of survive on, on charitable donations. Is there anyone out there you want to thank for participating or giving you donations or anything like that? Well, I'll tell you one per, one thing. Is, I, I don't know how far this reaches, but the Galasano Foundation has been very good to us. Tom Galasano, he ran for governor a few times. Oh, yeah. I've never had the opportunity to meet him, but his foundation is, has contributed a couple of years to supporting us training new trainers. And, okay. and, and we're really grateful for that. I'm just thinking somebody like that, and uh, but you know that, and that has been a very big help. But boy, you know, even you know, every con- every contribution means a lot where we are. You know, the three dollar, five dollars, you know, it all goes a long way to you know that the three five dollar one goes towards feeding a dog. You know, and they need to be cared for every day while they're in training for five months or more. You know, so every every dollar goes a long way here towards. Uh, building that uh, 10 years of a uh, blind person's uh, safety and, and companionship. Right. And it's just that we hope to find more and more contributors. That's the thing, is finding more and more people that want to know about it. We have a great website, you know, that you and I talked about. Several videos on there. There's a general information video on there. They're all on the right side of the homepage, I believe. And, and, that, and then there's all information, and there's a backlog of newsletters posted on there also. So if somebody is curious about our organization, they could look us up at you know www.freedomguidedogs.org. And if yeah. they have any questions, they can call us. The phone number is posted on the website, you know, and the like, as well sure as thing. email email opportunities to email us. Awesome. I'll, I'll get that in print to the web address for you. So I appreciate it very much. No problem. No problem at all. Now, now one last thing. I was curious. Sure. How is it covered? Like, is is 
so basically you guys you guys get the funding and you do the raising and the training and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is there on the blind I know you work with an association in this region and my brother in law actually works for the uh, Central Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah. Is that now like do they does somebody pay to to bring the dog in or is it all paid for by the time you go to do the training pretty much? Is there medical insurance and stuff that, that also no, helps? Or? Yeah, it's a good question, but you know, nothing is covered. We have to raise every penny from for breeding, wow. raising, training, and placing the guide dogs. Like I said, I'm grateful to that one hotel chain. We get a discount, and I've got friends at one or two other hotels where we tend to place dogs over and over again, and they give us a break. That was but no, we have to raise right. every we have to raise every penny through the general public and some and like I said, some foundations and you know, in fact, they're working on the Galasano one again now and you know, hope they continue to support us. But you know, grants are fleeting. You know, they're good and the foundations are generous, but they want to see you stand on your own. So what you're always looking for is the ultimate is a general public support. You know, that's what drives charities, not 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 foundations and stuff. Yeah. No. All right. Well, awesome. Well, thanks to the Galasano Foundation and thanks to Red Roof Inn and thanks to you, Eric. We appreciate it and you're doing a great job over there and, and you're running a successful venture and good luck with, in the future with that. And hopefully we'll talk to you again. We'll get some updates on how things yeah. are going in the future maybe. Well, thank you very much. I'd love to, you know, give us a call in six months or a year. We'll see where we're at and where we're going. And I appreciate all your help and uh, and, and looking into us because, like I said, we're kind of out of the loop because we're, we're a nonprofit. You know, and I used to kid, I stole this joke from somebody else. Uh, there was a guy that he passed away a couple of years ago. His name is Jim Varney. He did all the movies, Ernest movies for the kids. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Anyway, he, I always said because I, this is perfect for what, what you do and stuff and having us on, you say, you know, entrepreneurs. I said, well, I'm running a nonprofit charity, so I can't make a pro- like a major profit, so I'm an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he always said. He, go, he always got he, the word I'll wrong. I'll look that up. As entrepreneurs, you know, <laughs> you know. So, but we get rewarded in other ways. I'm just, I'm yeah. just happy to make blind people happy and safe. You know, that's the, you know, every time I, when I'm done training a blind person, they walk away with the dog. I'm thrilled. Can't beat that. That's awesome. That's a no, noble cause and a noble business. And God, it's just awesome. I love to hear these stories. Like I say, I, I love this. When I found a place, I was actually like, I could not. I'm like you say, it's kind of out there. But when I drove by, I'm like, wow, what is this little? in the middle of nowhere over here. But uh, like you said, you can't run it without people who care as much as you do, and um, it's a great thing. So thanks for what you're doing, and uh, thanks for being on the show, and hopefully we'll talk again you know, again soon, Eric. Oh, I sure Again, everybody, that's Eric Laurie, Executive Director of Freedom Guide Dogs, freedomguidedogs.org. And thanks for listening, everybody. Take care, Eric. All right, thank you very much. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye.